This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. When I first saw you, I said, oh my, I said, oh my, that's a dream, that's a dream. I needed a dream when it all seemed to go bad. Then I found you, and I have had the most beautiful dreams. Any man's ever had When I first saw you I said, oh my, oh my That's my dream, that's my dream I needed a dream to make me strong And you were the only reason I've had to go When a woman's gotta go Mama said I am special She said I've got to prove I am just as good I'm even better than That's what she would say That's what she would say Shine, Gina, shine Gina, shine Gina, shine When I first saw you, I said, oh my, that's a dream. What a wonderful way to start the day. Isn't it just? Yeah. A musical of the week is Dream Girls. I happen to be Mike. My friend Mel is here, as you can see, and you are backstage once again. Thank you for coming. If you are a first-timer, we talk a whole lot about theatre and not much about anything else, actually, to be totally honest with you. And I think that goes for our, our whole lives. We mm. don't really... D- 
in general talk about much else. I think the people around us would verify that. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, we're listening to the 2017 original London cast recording of Dreamgirls today, and it features the one and only Amber Riley of Glee fame in the role of Effie. This is another musical I didn't know a huge amount about before now, other than the one, you know, really famous song that Effie sings and all the powerhouse singers in the world do a cover of at some point in their life. And have we included that in our song list for today? We have. We will be finishing up today with it, yes. Okay. Last week we had John O'Freeburn along for the ride again. What was that, his third visit? Yeah. And our musical of the week was finally Phantom of the Opera. And if you missed it, you can still catch it, of course, because wherever you get your podcast fix, that's where you'll find Backstage. As always, we're available and searchable on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You go to iHeartRadio, ching-ching, there we are, and accessmedia.nz. Mel... Mm. I have to ask this though. Been a fairly intense few weeks. Have you fully recovered? Do you think from your latest has it project? Ever? Uh, yeah, it has been a fairly intense few weeks, and I don't know if we ever really recover, do we? We just sort of put that one in the in the. Yep, we've done that one, and move on to the next one. Yeah, and it's a bit like that, isn't it? you sort of find yourself thinking about them in years to come. Uh, so I don't know if you ever re- fully recover. But no, and it's a bittersweet kind of feeling, um, whether you're performing or directing, I think, when you have to leave something behind and say, right, that's it, we've cleared the stage, that's gone. Yeah. But you carry a lot of that stuff with you for a long time. You do, and I think on, on the flip side of the same coin, you leave a little piece of yourself with that show as well. Mm. And so when it goes, that little piece stays with it. Uh, and, you know, Heather's for you was one that you've been burning to do for a long time. So totally. Now that you've ticked that box and, you know, that's off your... Uh, bucket list, so to speak. I hate using that expression, but <laughs> now that you've done it, uh, what's going to bubble to the top next? Oh, you know, I'm not even thinking about it at the moment. I'm producing the Christmas show at Riverley Theatre this year, so mm-hmm. I'll just be hanging out at home, doing a lot of organising, yeah. um, not a lot of hands-on stuff for me uh, for the rest of the year. I am stage managing Assassins. It is nice to draw breath, though, isn't it? It is nice to draw breath. Mm. Um, and while I, while we're talking about Heathers, I do just want to do a little sneaky ca- shout-out to the community, to the people who continuously, like yourself, Mike, mm. who continuously come out and see my shows and support Black Box Creative and uh, sell out our seasons. So, I would hate for thanks. anyone, yeah, that, that was terrific news that you had a sell-out season and, and well-deserved too. You know, I mean, it was, amazing. A, it was a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Yeah. But it's um, it's easier for people to think, oh, yeah, um, we just go along and see a show. They don't necessarily understand just how much it means to the people involved. Oh, it does. Particularly those who have been instrumental in getting something off the ground. Yeah. Uh, it really, you know, the support, that fact that you actually are willing to come along, book, pay some money and come and see the shows means the world to us. And we wouldn't do it. And I say, and we talk about this a lot because we create performance art, so it's for people to see. And we, if people didn't want to see it, there'd be no point doing it. That's true, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, some things you do just for the fun of it. But if I mean, you might paint or write or whatever for the fun of it, but yeah. you wouldn't put on a play just for no reason. No. Would you? Although some people tried it during lockdown, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, that's the neat thing about live theatre, though, is that you do have that interaction with your audience and you know when people take that trouble to come out. Mm. Especially this time of the year, winter, you know? It's cold, sometimes wet. Exactly. It's freezing. Oh, I mean, at the Meteor, it's nice and toasty. But, yeah, it's freezing and people have got lots of options. Like, mm. my show, your show, whoever's show isn't the only show that's on right now. You know, and so, like, when you've got that many choices, when you've got that much talent and you've chosen to come and see our show, that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah.
that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Good to have friends like that. And Duets made it to opening night on One Piece out in Cambridge. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, well, this is uh, actually, it'd be totally Francis with you. Um, this is my first experience of directing something in which I've eventually had to appear as well. Mm-hmm. It wasn't set out to be that way, but I um, I found myself, really by the time I handed over to the stage manager after our second dress rehearsal uh, and put myself just in the role of being an actor, I was able to really relax with that, and mm. I thought I would still be thinking directorially through that process. And uh, I guess part of me still does, but most of me is now concentrating on delivering what I know the character to be, or what I, you know, what I think I'm I'm able to portray with that. And it's been really well received. Um, the, you know, the the play itself has been well received. Few people have said, "Oh, this is that musical, the one that they made the movie out of." No, oh. it's not. You know, <laughs> yeah. Nothing like that. This is this is something totally different. And I think um, the part that I liked about the script, the the resonant parts, the parts that I felt people would identify with, seems to be what the feedback I'm getting is that that's what what seems to work for them. So, um, a I, I feel vindicated. It was a yeah, good this choice is of good news. Yeah, <laughs> but b I'm pleased that what we are doing is actually conveying all the right things. Well, that's good, that, and that's yeah. really all you can ask for. Yeah, right. Well, that plus bums on seats. We want to yeah, make sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to emulate Heather's and have a sold out season. Oh, well, um, you, you do pretty well standardly out in Cambridge. I would have thought I, I, they, they have good steady support, and yeah. it's, uh, Gaslight Theatre is really well supported in that community, yeah. and they have a history of doing. Good stuff. I mean, That's you know, right. Not everything's going to be a hit, but everything that they do um, pushes the boundaries a little bit. And that was a perfect platform for duets, and I feel delighted to have got this far with it. Um, now, once we, you know, once this wraps at the end of it, I think this is going to be one of the experiences I'll tuck away as as one of my specials. Oh, that's cool. Which is nice. When you've risen to the challenge nicely, I haven't seen it yet, but I can't even imagine learning a whole bunch of lines like that halfway through directing a show. Well, it helps a probably I'd read the script about 19 times before yeah, yeah. before we even started rehearsals so um, I had a pretty good all you know sort of innate understanding of what it's all about oh, good. I'm not saying it's flawless but uh, we, we come pretty close and it's been <laughs> delightful people to work with throughout uh, yeah what a cool little team on stage well I'll be out to see it probably this week uh, one of these days we will talk about something other than our own shows I promise that too uh, yeah. Mike have you seen anything <laughs> Uh, well, I was lucky enough recently to catch a dress rehearsal of Move Over Mrs. Markham that uh, Hamilton Playbox Theatre are presenting at Riverley. The set is amazing. They, you feel? Really, yeah, it's it's such a wide stage, but they've really incorporated everything really well into that. Yeah, it's beautiful. You, you, you tend to have two areas, really, for the story, and that's all you need. Mm. They've got a, a, an invisible wall, a door in a frame and that's pretty much it that separates the two and um, the lighting plot isn't complicated but it actually is, makes good use of those spaces cool and it's a nine person cast fairly, fairly big cast for yeah, something like that yeah that is a big cast features some of Hamilton's favourite repertory performers and um, for those reasons alone it's actually worth taking the time to pop out and have a look at it mm. there's a ton of free parking around there too which is always a great <laughs> a great plus and um, not every place has that no I rate the parking at Riverley but Mrs Markham I think uh, probably is going to do pretty well for, for Playbox they cool. run their season through the same time as we're running ours oh that's lucky that you got yeah. to see it then yeah uh, and something that happened so rarely, Mike and I were in the audience for a funny thing happened on the way to the forum together recently, yeah. uh, which was, once again, well worth the night out. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with that mm. show, because I've, I've performed in it twice, and I know it really well, 
And to be honest, when it was first mooted as as a show to put on, I had my reservations. And Me I, too. I didn't necessarily say it out loud at the time, I don't think, but I'm, I'm willing to um, to admit that you know, in the end, it was a good choice because it actually did really, really well. Just for the sake of transparency, I should say that both Mel and I are on the executive of Hamilton Musical Theatre, formerly known as Music Makers. Yeah. So, yes, we do have vested interest in shows associated with our organisation. That's right. But it doesn't mean that we can't be objective about what we've decided to do because it's not. This is not. You know, the choice to put on that show was not down to one or two people. It was a subcommittee that put that together. Yeah, well, that's right. And it was pretty robust discussion around it. Yeah, well, and that's... that's, So, I don't know how other societies do it, but HMT has a pretty solid uh, plan and criteria for how they select their shows. And... So that I mean, and forum not, just matched up against the criteria, and we don't we don't also don't look at shows in isolation. We look at what the whole program of a year is going to be and how they work together. That's right. Now, having said that, the, the hate part of my relationship with forum is that I think it is actually really it's a bit creaky. It's an older show. Yeah, has a lot of tropes in it that possibly these days could not handled correctly be What's about slaves and prostitutes actually slaves and prostitutes you know yeah. and it's it makes sort of mockery of those things and it pokes fun at the classes and and, the, and just, there is there are some stereotypes in there which um, you know these days maybe you wouldn't go there yeah yeah however i have to say that tony garçon has done uh, an incredible job with that show and her vision of, of what it could be. She's attacked it with all the right energy in all the right places. Yeah, that's what. And I, this, I said that to her myself. And I think for them it helped that it was an entirely female creative team. Yeah. Uh, so that it didn't have that... That cringeworthiness just that, about it. Just yeah. that man's touch on it, you know? Yeah. But also she's got really got away with working with that old-timey humour, mm. that old comedy, um, that not... Lots of young directors can pull off, but she does. Oh, well, she, she proved all that with uh, 39 Steps. That's right. In a great show that, that she understood the dynamics of it really well. And um, I think with Forum, she really proved that she's got some serious chops as a, as a director. I think so, yeah. A lot of time for Tony. I think she's a very creative and wonderfully um, visionary kind of person to, to have around us. And we're pretty lucky to have her as part of our team. Yeah, well, I mean, if she's good now and she's only in her early, well, mid-20s. Yeah, imagine how good she's going to be when she gets to our ages. She's probably going to piss me off. <laughs> but anyway, all this goes to prove something that we have repeatedly said in something like 60-odd episodes. <laughs> Every show has its audience, and mm. there will be bums on seats for something somewhere along the line. Um, so, you know, understand that, understand how to present it. Every play, every musical, every pantomime, every device production will find its audience, and you need to know who that audience is. And that's right. Yeah. So that's, and that's what I think some groups all over the country I've heard of it happening um, that get really stuck on this is what our audience wants. Well, I mean, you could create a new audience if you wanted. True. And there's no such thing, I think, as uh, as a community having a particular taste. That's right. Uh, and harking back to Gaslight, for example, mm. uh, they sometimes make really strange choices of plays that they That's a good example, to actually. Yeah. So sometimes that can be a director coming up and saying, hey, I want to do duets or I've got something else in mind. Yeah. And they are brave enough to say, yeah, all right, let's try that. And they'll just take a risk on something. Yeah, they'll take a risk. Yeah. Balance that against some of the other stuff they know is going to be popular, like your, you know, your Black Hatters or your Vicar of Dibleys or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you can't really go wrong if you uh, challenge your audience from time to time and say, hey, you, you like this, so 
here's something that's a little bit different, but I think we think you'll like it too. Like that too, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and having a go for it, Um, I think a big danger comes when people think too safely. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't sit a bit of myself. One, two, three. Friends, love you, baby. Nothing personal. Come on, Laurel. Wait, Laurel, baby. Come on, you leaving too? 
Laurel, I love you, baby. And Laurel loves Jimmy. Laurel loves Jimmy. Any help, Jimmy? Give me a call. Don't you worry, Curtis. Cause I don't crawl. I'm an original Curtis. I don't beg. I don't beg. Cause I was here before you. And I'll be here long after you are. You're backstage with Mel and Mike, and we are listening in this episode to Dream Girls. It is our musical of the week. And like Mel, I knew very little about it before we got down to this. But before I let Mel give us any of the details necessary of you to find a place for it in your heart, mm-hmm. it's time to take a note of what's going on around the place soonish. At the Meteor Shop Bro, written and performed by Rob Mukaraka. That's from June the 22nd until the 24th. Paradise or the Impermanence of Ice Cream is presented by Indian Inc. That's from July 7th to the 11th. And Beards, Beards, Beards is written by Trick of the Light and directed by Jonathan. Jonathan, oh, John O'Free, Ben, mm-hmm. for the July school holidays. That's July 19 to the 23rd. It's only his elderly relatives that call him Jonathan, I think. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Clarence Street, Chicago, looming large on the horizon. This is presented by Hamilton Operatic Society. Tickets are online now. June 25th is their opening. They run through to July the 10th. At Rivoli Theatre, as we've mentioned, Move Over Mrs. Markham is on right now until June the 26th. And Hamilton Musical Theatre are about to be in rehearsal for Mamma Mia, and that goes to stage in October. Seems a long way off, doesn't it? It does seem a a bit of a long way off. (laughs) Navarra Lounge, swing by there for their entertainment night. Open mic night is tonight at 8 o'clock. Americana Thursday, the Swamp Dogs are playing this week, tomorrow night, uh, June 17th. And Andrew London album launch is a gig that's happening on Sunday the 20th. Over in Tiaroha, the Little Theatre, their production of Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, as we mentioned, has been postponed officially to 2022. I didn't realise it was on to next year now. Yeah, I just saw a Facebook post yesterday. It's a brave move, but Mm. uh, it's probably going to be worth, dare I say it, waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, uh, duets directed by me. It's on stage right now, running through till June the 26th. Matamata Dramatic Society has Laughter is the Best Medicine. That's a review featuring some comedic sketches and short plays from June the 23rd to the 27th. And Tim's Music and Drama have Peter Pan and the Medallion Secret by Alan Cumming. That is opening July the 3rd, running through to the 10th. 
Rotorua Musical Theatre has Spamalot. That's directed by Alastair Hay, and that's hitting the stage in August. Might be worth a trek through to see that. Mm. Tauranga Musical Theatre have uh, Les Mis coming up in September, and they're in uh, rehearsals for that now. 16th Avenue Theatre, Neighbourhood Watch by Alan Akebourne, opens July the 9th, uh, running through to the 24th. And Detour Theatre, How to Train Your Husband by Devin Williamson. Gee, I think you'd be really lucky if you can get seats for that now because mm. they've been selling hand over fist. Uh, that's running through from the 17th of June to July the 3rd. Then they're in rehearsal for Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of the Speckled Band. And that's on stage in September. And last but certainly not least, up in Auckland at the Auckland Theatre Company, The Life of Galileo by Bertolt Brecht, translated by David Hare. That's on stage June 22nd until July the 10th. Now, upcoming auditions and other opportunities. Shall we go there? Yes. Yeah. All yeah. Right, let's do that. Bravo Theatre Company are auditioning for Fame Junior. That's on June the 26th and 27th, the auditions. All the details on how to get a spot are available through their Facebook page. Or auditions for Rivoli Theatre's Christmas show Back to the 80s are being held on July the 10th and 11th. You can email rivoleychristmasshow at gmail.com to get an audition time. Hamilton Musical Theatre are looking for a director for their May 2022 season of Blood Brothers. Send an email to info at hamiltonmusicaltheatre.co.nz Include a letter outlining your experience and why you happen to be the best director for the job. And this opportunity slash thing that's coming up is a bit uh, left field for us, but I just wanted to make some people aware of it because it's really cool and fun and if someone can do it, they should. All Together Now is a performance review of a bunch of different songs from a bunch of different musicals and Music Theatre International's Altogether Now is a global event celebrating local theatre. It's an opportunity for schools and theatres around the world to produce and perform songs from MTI shows for free. Complete, wow. Yeah, completely for free. So it's entirely free of charge to licence with no royalty or rental fees over a four-day period from November 12th to the 15th of this year. And you can check out mtishows.com for more details. I bet that's going to tickle the fancy of quite a few people. If I weren't busy, I'd be snapping it up. Yeah, me too. I don't know that I'm going to be busy in November, but I probably am. Well, yeah, I'm sure you will be. Someone will snap you up if you haven't been snapped up by yourself. That's something. <laughs> As always, get in touch if you want to add something to the list. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or send us a message or Instagram or come and see us at work or just generally. <laughs> Stop us in the street. <laughs> yeah, say Flag hi. Down. I also want to remind you that there is a heap of good school productions happening in our area of mm. late. St Peter's, St Paul, St John's Sacred Heart, Hillcrest High School, Hamilton uh, Boys and Hamilton Girls High School. The high school production is not what it might have been a generation or two ago or three, back <laughs> when Mel and I were at high school, but it is um, a very productive and very fertile ground for young talent. To it emerge. is very fertile ground out yeah. there at the moment, isn't it? Like that, So St John's, I think, just did Big Fish. I should um, mention Southall as well. Oh, Southall, yes, and who else? Bloody St. Peter's just did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Um, all the, lots of good productions. I think St. Paul's might be doing Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, see, see, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you on a journey. <laughs> I'm ready. Back I'm in ready. The, in the dim, dark past when I was a high school lad, burning to be on stage, my only opportunities really existed with the local uh, dramatic society, like Potato Theatre Players. Yeah. Potaruru High School, when I was there, 
at best would do the odd one-act play <laughs> yeah. season yeah, of, yeah. of a couple of nights, and that would be it. We had no, we did no musical production. We didn't have any teacher that wanted to take all that sort of stuff on. With the exception of one year, our art teacher did a musical production of a thing called The Rising Generation. Okay. And I've never seen it anywhere else since, and I don't know whether it was something he had a bit of a hand in creating or not, but it involved uh, guys from our school that were playing in a band, and um, it worked. Cool. But that was the only time it happened. Things these days, and probably was emerging, you know, when you were at school as well, that the, the school production had become a thing mm. and an expectation at secondary school level, which I, I really think is amazing, because when I wanted to learn more about music and things like that, our music teacher, when I was in the third form, whatever year that was. I think that's you know, year nine now. Yeah, whatever it's called. Uh, when she retired at the end of that year, there was no replacement. And right for the rest of my time at secondary school, we had no music teacher. Right, right, right. And I wanted to learn how to read music. Back in the I wanted ancient to do all days. Yeah, talking a, a long time ago. <laughs> the point is that the importance of learning these skills and developing those interests um, has grown exponentially since mm. then for the better totally i do have a little concern about that though that it has created a bit of an expectation of a level of uh proficiency which sometimes is a hell of a stretch for some schools you know to, to spend the money on a big budget to put on a big show all yeah. this sort of stuff. that's not always necessary mm. i applaud the interaction i applaud the involvement i applaud the dedication to doing it yeah but it doesn't have to be you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollar effort to get well, something on stage. No, it doesn't. I mean, and I mean, rights aren't cheap, but you can get the rights for a show for roughly four or five thousand dollars. Maybe spend another couple of thousand. You've got your you've got your school production for less than ten thousand mm. dollars, and you know, I just make it happen. Give having the kids said, the opportunity. Having said that, uh, the level at which they're doing this sort of stuff now is pretty amazing. And, and I think it's it's great. That's where our young people are coming from, becoming young adults. Those performing arts high schools, perform, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. You go on to the Gallagher Academy of Performing Arts at the university and so on. Um, they're already going into that level with a bunch of stuff behind them that um, could be the envy of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I and would have killed to go to one of those high schools. And when I was young. Of course. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. Anyway. That ship passed us by a long time ago, so we, we've learned our craft a bit later in life. But just, I'm not saying I'm jealous of, of school kids these days, but they they really um, have some marvelous opportunities, and I think yeah. it's great. Just you know, put it in context. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, so now that life is settling down for both of us again, we're getting back to normal. Although both of us have assassins looming on the horizon as mm -hmm. well. I have for you not one but two plays that I want to talk a bit about for our play of the day, just for a bit of a change this week. First, do these two plays justify their formidable eight-hour length? <laughs> the answer is a qualified yes to that, actually. Second, written in the early 1990s, do they come across as a fascinating period document or just something, or something that speaks to us today? And the answer is... Well, a bit of both. And I know that sounds like you're sitting on the fence, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the tighter 
Twitter first part of Angels in America, Tony Kushner catches the fear and uncertainty caused by the AIDS crisis in 1985. We've talked about this play before when yeah. we talked about plays you must see. Yes. Many of the characters are in a state of sexual denial. And the most vividly drawn is the power-broking lawyer Roy Cohn, who rejects the label of homosexual on the grounds that they are men who have zero clout. But both Joe Pitt, a married Mormon, and his valium-addicted wife are unable to openly acknowledge the fact that Joe is gay. Louis, a word-processing Jewish clerk, uh, flees in terror when he believes that his lover, Prior Walter, is dying of AIDS, and almost the only character who is fully honest about his sexuality is Prior himself, confronting mortality with whatever courage he can muster. And I mean, that's true of life. When you're, when you're at death's door, nothing else really matters. Yeah. You think, man? Yeah. What's what have really I got to lose now? Yeah. Prejudice and homophobia still exist, but one is reminded of just how much things have changed since the plays were written in terms of gay rights, sexual openness and HIV testing. After the first four-hour instalment, the four-hour second part seems tremendously wilder, stranger, more surreal. Kushner introduces angels into the action, with their main function being to suggest that they have been deserted by God, are doomed to inertia, and that it's up to mankind to sort out its own problems. The best scenes are those that follow the fortunes of the characters we have come to know. Cohn remains the embodiment of bullying, power-hungry manipulativeness, but we also come to pity him as he rages against encroaching death. Belize, the one-time drag queen, becomes Cohn's night nurse, and touchingly suggests a certain compassion for a man whose politics he actually loathes. The character who develops the most in the second play is Prior Walter. Having narrowly escaped death, he haunts the action and comes to embody the urge to live and the painful progress that seems the best hope for the human race. What is one left with at the end of eight hours of viewing, or a few less of reading, perhaps? Well, you'll get some memorable images, but the prime impression is of Kushner's conviction that although we live in dark times where both God and Marx are dead, there is always hope in the instinct for survival and the tenacity of the human spirit. It's uplifting. Mm. It's hopeful. And you really can't ask for anything more for the human race Hopeful despite the hopelessness. Um, I'm so glad this play came out. It's super beautiful and ambitious. You've not, have you seen it live? No. No. Uh, would you? I, I would make, a big commitment. You'd have to make a plan to do it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, would you watch all eight hours straight, one after the other? Uh, I'm not sure. Sh- uh, so I think uh, the last time I heard of it being done in Auckland, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, um, they did they did it, and so they would alternate it, and then they did one performance where it was back-to-back. Ah, did they? Yeah. I remember you talking about that before, and I, my memory of what you said about it was that they alternated over uh, yeah. a couple of nights. Yeah, I think they did the, fir- the first half one night, the second half the next night, and so on and so on. Yeah. But I know they did do a big one marathon point. performance wow. where people were encouraged to like bring their sleeping bags yeah. and stuff. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, so I don't... Imagine how draining that would be. Oh, but imagine what an experience as well. Mm. I, I, it would be draining. Uh, there's no denying that. Yeah. But oh, what an experience! Yeah. If you have the right team, if you've got the right company, I think, and you can pull it off, you should pull it off. Because what a feat! We, we talked about taking risks before. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that would be the ultimate risk, wouldn't it? Is there an? Is there an audience? Yes, there must be an audience for that. You know, every play has an audience, so there must be an audience for an eight-hour drama. 
You know, I'd be willing to ma- wager on that. <laughs> I think it could go quite well. Even in this, in this day and age of uh, where people, you know, you've got to get people's attention in 30 seconds or, or you've lost them, um, I think there is still a you know, market for that. People go and watch long operas. Yeah, well, that, and, well and Angels, Angels in America is a sort of an iconic piece of queer theatre, yeah. and there's not a lot of queer theatre that happens in New Zealand. There's a little bit, but not heaps. Uh, so this is probably one of those ones that people would jump on should it come around. Quite apart from those uh, touchstones and those issues that it talks about, there mm. is there's the wider, broadly human kind of aspect to the whole thing as yeah, well, yeah. Which, which everybody can relate to. That's right. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to add, but I just was going to say the same thing you'd said our suggestion, already. <laughs> right Collectively, our suggestion is you should read it if you can. Or if you ever get the chance to see it, book your tickets. Well, there is a movie that Al Pacino and Meryl Streep are in. It's a movie miniseries. Get out of here. Go see it. Go watch it. All right. It's available. So if you prefer it in bite sizes, that's I've actually got it on DVD. I'll lend it to you. All right. <laughs> I haven't got a DVD player anymore. <laughs> I saw somebody online the other day saying, where can I buy a, um, a region-free Blu-ray player? Apparently, you just can't get them anymore. Well, they're antiques now. Oh, heck. Yeah, I'll have to... I, and even my laptop doesn't have oh, a, a disc slot, you know? You've got to have, have a peripheral. Hey, you going to watch your DVD? We watch them on the PlayStation. Oh, you see, I don't have a PlayStation. I don't have a gaming console. Oh, you need, that's why you I need one. I know. Okay, we digress. Effie, Curtis was supposed to... Love me! Curtis was supposed to love me! There you are, Effie. I've been looking all over. I turn my back and find myself out on the line. You could have warned me, but that would have been too kind. I've been warning you since Chicago to clean up your act. You've been late, you've been mean, giving all kinds of bullshit flack. That's a lie, that's a lie. It's just I haven't been feeling that way. Effie, please stop excusing yourself. You've been late, you've been mean, and getting fatter all the time. Now you're lying, you're lying, I've never been so thin. You're lying, you're lying, because you're knocking off that piece who thinks she's better than everybody. She ain't better than anybody. She ain't nothing but common. Now who you calling common? You self-indulgent, self-absorbed, non-professional. You! I'm calling you. I'm calling you. The common piece is knocking off. Now you listen to me, Miss Flame, and on the world. See, I put it with you for much too long. I have put it with your bitching. I put it with your nagging. And I am screaming. Oh, no, are you two gonna stop all this fighting? Say, I'm against the rail. This is between Dina and me, yeah? Well, it's between me too. I'm as much a part of this group as anybody else. And I'm tired, every attack of all the problems you're making us. Hey, now what's your tone? Don't blame it on the rail. Right, now she on. had nothing to do with this change. It was you, it was you, always thinking of you. All you can do is a rant and rave. You think a star is a king. Wake up, baby, a star is a slave. Wake up, baby, a star is a slave. I knew you were trouble from the start. Trouble? You were real bad trouble from the start. What? But you're getting out now I'm not building this group to have you tear it apart Go ahead and rant and scream and shout Don't worry, baby I'll buy you up Oh, that's not a new place You're already going to buy me up first You remember that? Lay off, Effie 
that I feel It's time to know what you've done So I see they bought your black ass I said cool that I feel This time you've gone too far I can go further I can go further I don't wanna stay around this I've seen it a bit in this business This is between all of you Now this is the family Yeah, well it's between you two now sister If it's no job it's must y'all see it Look at me, look at me Well I love you but out to get in Now you watch your mouth, watch your mouth all over from musical of the week dream girls i'm mel martin backstage here with mike williams and while i have the chance can i please just send a little shout out in the direction of waikato's free fm yes and creative waikato oh yes who endlessly support not only us and our podcast but artists and art projects all around the region they're good guys they are and now the moment that we have all been waiting for dream girls is a broadway and west end musical you may not know it terribly well but it is also a film which you may have seen Mm -hmm. take it away mel i'm all ears okay you ready yes okay so dream girls had its beginnings as a project for nell carter and playwright tim iron and conductor henry krieger they first worked together on the 1975 musical of ian's play the dirtiest show in town Carter appeared in the musical and her performance inspired Ian and Krieger to craft a musical about black backup singers, which was originally called One Night Only and then given the working title of Project Nine. Project Nine was workshopped for Joseph Papp. Now Carter was joined at this time by Cheryl Lee Ralph and Loretta Devine, who were to play her groupmates. The project was shelved after Carter departed to appear in the soap opera Ryan's Hope in 1978. A year later, Project Nine was brought back to the table after catching the interest of Michael Bennett, then in the midst of his success with A Chorus Line. Ralph and Divine returned and Bennett had Iron, who was to direct, begin workshopping Big Dreams as the musical was now known. So this is its third name (laughs) by this point. Joining the cast at this time was 20-year-old gospel singer Jennifer Holliday as Carter's replacement after Carter accepted an offer from NBC to star in Give Me a Break. However, Holliday left the project during the workshopping phase as she disliked the material and was upset that her character, Effie White, died at the conclusion of the first act, which of course she doesn't now in the show that we know. After two mildly successful workshops, which included Jennifer Lewis as Effie, Holiday returned to the project, now known as Dreamgirls. However, she found Effie's role had been reduced significantly in favour of Cheryl Lee Ralph's Dina character, and Holiday eventually quit the project again. <laughs> After acquiring funding from music industry mogul David Geffen and fellow co-financiers ABC Entertainment, Metro Media and the Schubert family, Michael Bennett called Holiday back and agreed to rewrite the show's second act and build up her character again. Well, they really wanted her, didn't they? They really did. Mm. I don't know what it was about it. I mean, she's super talented, but 
anyway. Uh, so taking strong inspiration from the history of the Motown record label and one of its acts, The Supremes, the story follows the history and evolution of American R&B music during the 1960s and 70s through the eyes of a Detroit, M- Michigan girl group known as The Dreams and their manipulative record executive. So you can sort of imagine where all that's going. Yes. Dreamgirls premiered on Broadway at the Imperial Theatre in December of 1981 and closed in August 1985 after 1,521 performances. Well, that's pretty respectable. It's pretty respectable, especially for its time. The production was directed by Michael Bennett, produced by Bennett, Bob Avian, Geffen Records and the Schubert Organization and choreographed by Michael Bennett and Michael Peters. It starred Cheryl Lee Ralph as Dina Jones, Jennifer Holliday as Effie White and Loretta Devine as Laurel Robinson. Dreamgirls proved to be a star-making vehicle for several of its performers, particularly Holiday, whose performance as Effie received significant praise. Her recording of Effie's solo, And I Am Telling You, was number one single on the Billboard R&B charts in 82. Michael Bennett then took Dreamgirls on an abbreviated national tour in 83, with Jennifer Holiday remaining as Effie. Because of high costs on that tour, only three cities were played before the road production was completely closed down and uh, ended. A second tour began in 85 with Sharon Brown as Effie. In 87, Lilius White, Jennifer Holliday's original understudy, had taken over the role. That tour ended with a Broadway revival at the Ambassador Theatre, which ran from June of 87 to November 87 and was nominated for the 88 Tony Award for Best Revival. It was around this time that Michael Bennett, the original director-producer, had fallen ill due to AIDS-related complications, and he died in July of 87. In February of 2016, it was confirmed that Dreamgirls would would have its London premiere at the Savoy Theatre, uh, with Amber Riley taking on the role of Effie White, that's who we've been listening to today. Those previews began in November of 2016, with an official opening in December of that year. Boy, that took a long time to get to London, didn't it? It did take a really long time to get to London. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't really dive into the whys of that. There must um, be a story there somewhere. There probably is a story. Mm. Maybe I should have found that out. <laughs> no, I'll leave that, that with could, you, Mike. That could, that could be a part two. <laughs> uh, so now for the juicy stuff. There's juicy stuff? Uh, there is a little bit of juicy stuff. Okay. Michael Bennett, Henry Krieger, Tom Iron, they're the guys from the, the beginning of this whole story. Yeah. And the Dreamgirls producers always denied any connections between the musical's plot and the life stories of the Supremes. Uh-huh. Uh, so, how, I mean, and the, <laughs> the similarities were... So, they were so much so that people... Well, you just assumed, don't you? Just thought it was about the Supremes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's widely believed that the producers denied connections in order to avoid lawsuits from Motown, Barry Gordy, and obviously the Supremes. Who no doubt had their lawyers going over everything with a fine-tooth comb and 100%. saying, you know, is there anything that we can point to that definitely makes the connection? But the audience thought it. Everyone thought it. Everyone In fact, it. Mary Wilson, one of the Supremes, Mary Wilson loved Dreamgirl so much that she named her first autobiography Dreamgirl, My Life as a Supreme. Well, there you go. That's right. <laughs> In an Oprah Where Are They Now interview from 2014, Ralph said that Michael Bennett instructed her not to portray Dina like Diana Ross or else they would be sued. In the same interview, Ralph said she encountered Diana Ross in New York shortly after the musical's opening, where Diana Ross coldly brushed her off, leading her to speculate that Ross either knew of the show or had seen it. Of course. And, you know, how dissimilar are the names Dina and Diana? Diana, that's right. 
Yeah. Uh, Tom Iron, one of the original writer's producers, denied that he had the Supremes in mind when he wrote the book. Of course he did. Uh, he is quoted as saying in 86, I didn't grow up with the Supremes. I grew up with the Shirelles. Dream Girls isn't about any one group. It's a cavalcade of black Motown singers. The Shirelles, the Chiffons, Martha and the Vandellas, Little Richard and Stevie Wonder. All of the characters are larger than life. And you would have to say, yes, there is some credence to that. I would buy it. But the similarities in the story arc with the uh, Supremes experiences lead people to think there's a connection. I think that's it's not so much that it's just about black singers, it's about these specific yeah. black singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the film adaptation of Dream Girls, that stars Jamie Foxx, Beyonce, Eddie Murphy, Danny Glover and Jennifer Hudson, she plays Effie. It was first exhibited in a special 10-day roadshow engagement beginning in December 25 of 2006. Subsequently the film went into national release. So have you seen that film? No. Okay, because I'm just wondering how Eddie Murphy worked out for that. Otherwise, the cast looks really good. Danny Glover, Jamie Foxx, Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson. Good team. Killer voices in there. While much of the material apparently remains the same as that of the stage musical, some of the stage musical's songs, most notably Ain't No Party, were removed and four new songs were added, which I suppose isn't super surprising given the Hollywood treatment. Mm -hmm. A number of changes were made to the story as well, including the additions of more overt references to the Supremes and Motown, the death of Jimmy, who was found dead on the road after a heroin overdose, and the relocation of the story's main setting from Chicago to Detroit, which is where Motown and that was all happening. The film won two Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actress for Jennifer Hudson and Best Sound Mixing. And interestingly, just fun fact, to give the story more exposure for the upcoming film release, DreamWorks Pictures and the licensee of the original play announced they would pay the licensing fees for all of the non-professional stage performances of Dreamgirls for the calendar year of 2006. So DreamWorks hoped to encourage amateur productions of Dreamgirls and familiarise a wider audience with the play. As a result, more than 50 schools, colleges, community theatres and other non-commercial theatre entities staged productions of Dreamgirls in 2006. And DreamWorks, the company, spent up to $250,000 subsidising the licensing. They covered all that. Gee, that's, that's quite an effort. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, but pretty smart because it back, you know, that obviously backed the film. Oh, and then that creates an audience for the yeah. film. And I suppose that's all you have to say about that then. That is very much all I have to say about that. Thank you. That was very um, entertaining and enlightening because there was a lot I didn't know about that production. Yeah, same. And I, the, probably all I really knew was the controversy of, you know, is this or is this not the Supreme? Is it about Diana Ross? Mm, yeah. I, I, up until today, I thought that it was. I thought that it was like a biographical pick. I think I, I, I do, like you, I, I, I think he was on the level, actually, uh, Tom, I am, when he said that, uh, you know, it was a, an amalgam of all of those performers of that time well, and that I gave mean, the inspiration. But when they're refining it, they obviously had to have, been thinking of the Supremes. Surely. I mean, stuff happens in the movie that only happened to the Supremes, or Diana Ross, or Mm. um, what's the other one? I forget her name. Mary Wilson. Um, It'd be really, really cool if we get to see a production of it sometime soon so mm. that we can bring this newfound knowledge to it. I think it would be a hard undertaking given it has, you have to be able to provide the 
I don't know what the correct phrase is. The performers of colour. Yep. You've got to be accurate and true to, to the ethnic accurate. requirements. Yeah. yeah, well, I wouldn't say it would be easy to do in this country, but if there was a, a touring production or something sometime in the future, it would mm. be good. But yeah, you've always got the 2006 movie to refer to. Yeah, you uh, do. Yeah, may not be quite Hudson's the same amazing. as the stage show, but I really wish I'd been able to see Jennifer Holliday in performance. Maybe there's a YouTube clip out there with Well, it. and I know that her, probably her original cast recording is probably available yeah. on Spotify okay. as well. Okay, excellent. I feel I feel enlightened. You feel enlightened? Yeah. Uh, let me just chuck out another reminder real quick to get in touch with Creative Waikato if you want their assistance. And also don't forget to look us up on your favourite podcast streaming platform. If we, you... we love it when you look us up. Do we? Yeah, yeah. we do. We love that. I like it. <laughs> Accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you've got some other favourite podcasting platform, we probably have propagated through to that by now. It just filters on through, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Head on over to Instagram, find Backstage Podcast NZ. Mel will be beavering away later to share today's episode, plus our musical of the week on our story there. I have been Mike. She has been Mel. You have been Backstage. Today we're going out with the song that I mentioned right back at the beginning of this hour, uh, and I am telling you, from Dreamgirls. This is by Amber Riley. Stay classy, theatre nids. See ya. And I am telling you I'm not going You're the best man I'll ever know There's no way I could ever go No, no, there's no way No, no
more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.